Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 187. We're done with our series, Instant Replay. Uh, It was 20 weeks long. We looked at 20 different episodes. We looked back on 20 different episodes, uh, rethought some things, uh, reinvestigated some things, and now we're ready to investigate some new things. And uh, today, this is season five of the podcast, by the way, so welcome to new season. Welcome to new year. Welcome to all the new things. Uh, we're talking to Dr. James Danaher today. Uh, he's, he's been on the podcast before. Um, he was my philosophy professor all the way back at Nyack College in the year uh, two, 2000. Yeah, year 2000. I think that was when I started college, 2000. And uh, yeah, I remember it was an eight o'clock class, 8 a.m. I was a commuter. It was in Simpson Hall, which was this really, it was a, the girls' dorm, and it was like the top floor of their classrooms up there. And I remember I was, I had to commute, so I had to go through traffic. And I remember like I didn't want to be there <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I was like, philosophy? What in the world is philosophy anyway? And I remember the room was packed with students. None of them really wanted to be there. But when Dr. Danher started to teach, I was like, man, this this is different because I was literally just coming out of a very conservative evangelical private Christian school from the fourth through twelfth grade. So I had learned about God in one specific way, and Dr. Danher's up there talking about God in a very different way. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is different. <laughs> We're not in Kansas anymore. Where am I? What is going on? Uh, but he captured my attention. Uh, we kind of went our separate ways. We've reconnected over the last few years. Uh, he's become a really good friend of mine, a uh, really big cheerleader for the podcast and just for me personally. And uh, I'm grateful for him and all the things that he's taught me. And he wrote a new book called Jesus and the Bicameral Brain. And uh, he's going to talk to us all about it in this episode. If you don't know what bicameral is, don't worry about it. I didn't either. I had to go look it up. <laughs> just go Google it and uh, you'll see what it's all about. But uh, Jesus and the Bicameral Brain, go to Amazon, pick it up. Uh, you will not be sorry. It's a really good book, I think. And I say this in the episode. I think this is one of the most important books that he's written. Maybe one of the most important books I read in 2021. So I will leave it at that. And I will let you uh, think about it uh, from from there. In the show notes today, Patreon and buy me a coffee. Listen, this is what I do for my job. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed to say it. <laughs> if you have found this to be helpful at all, uh, please consider going to Patreon and buy me a coffee to support the show financially. It literally, it literally, we have 42 uh, patrons and they literally help put food on our table every month. Uh, they help us pay for our gas, electric bill, all the different things. Uh, thank you. Thank you to our patrons who support the show. Uh, we could not, I could not be doing this without you. I quit my job back in October of last year to do this, to pick up some social media gigs I love it. I adore it. There's nothing else I'd rather do. And I'm able to do it because of you. And uh, I really am grateful. So if this has encouraged you, inspired you, please consider going to those places to support the show. If you can't do it financially, that's fine. No worries. Uh, you're still part of the family. Uh, you can also support the show by going to iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, um, leave something good. <laughs> you can go to you can go to Amazon. Uh, very soon and buy my book, Rethinking Everything. It drops on January 25th. Uh, so all good things, all different ways you can support the show. 
but the links to Patreon to buy me coffee are there. Uh, special music today is from my friend Young Citizen. He's a hip-hop artist in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, a good friend of mine. We worked at Apple together, and uh, he's just doing really good things in the world. Uh, his music is kind of like a staple <laughs> here at the What If Project. I like him, I like his music, and so I like to share it out as much as I can. So all that to say, my friends, again, episode number 187. It's my conversation with Dr. James Danaher. Peace. I have more days, you know how I go. New routine, always on the ball. Ducks in the rope, levitating. Even regulating in my headspace. Meditating, just to keep me sane. Ain't no hesitation, oh yeah. Spin around the world, glad to be alive. Most of my bros couldn't even make it past 25. Maybe it'd be smart to be more cautious. Focus on the winds. All right, hey friends, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're sitting down with one of my favorite human beings, one of my favorite heretics, Dr. James Danaher. Welcome back to the podcast, my friend. It's always an honor. Hi, Glenn. So as I've mentioned before, uh, Dr. Danaher was my philosophy professor all the way back, jump in the time machine, all the way back to the year 2000 uh, at Nyack College. And all these years later, I'm proud to call him friend, partner in crime. Uh, so you have a new book out called Jesus and the Bicameral Brain that we're going to talk all about today. And uh, the book was an excellent read, even though I had to Google bicameral because I wasn't sure <laughs> what the word meant. Uh, but once I got that, uh, the book, honestly, the book, like I said, on an email exchange, I think one of the most important books uh, that you've written, because really it touched me in a lot of different ways, made me, uh, comforted me at times, it made me very uncomfortable at other times. But I'm curious, before we talk too much about it, what's the feedback been? What are people saying? Well, I, know it's, some, it's, I know sometimes on your, her, on your, on your heretic page, <laughs> on your Facebook page, <laughs> you get, you get some, you get some flack. So I'm wondering what people have been saying about the book. Well, it, it's been doing great in the UK. Uh, I have a friend, Maggie Ross. Uh, her name is Martha Reeves, but she writes under Maggie Ross. Mm. She wrote uh, Silence, a, a User's Guide. She's an Anglican nun and she lives in Oxford. She's a uh, Stanford-trained theologian and has got a bunch of books out, all contemplative kind of stuff. And uh, I sent a copy of the book to her, and she must have plugged it because in the UK, it's doing great. Uh, <laughs> Can't keep it on the shelves. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing in the US, but it's doing great in the UK. It's, uh, it's number two. In Danaher books, uh, what Danaher books are okay. is uh, there's there's about 250 books that have been written by Danaher's. Uh, my brother wrote 13 of them, and I've written nine of them. Uh, so my judgment of how I'm doing is how am I doing against my kid brother? Right. You know? It's all about the competition. So, uh, right now, I'm I'm number two uh, to uh, a guy that writes books about martial arts. Uh, <laughs> Oh, that's that's my criterion for judgment. But it is doing well in the UK, not so much in the US. Uh, well, maybe your next book has to be about martial arts, so you can take down that. Yeah, guy. There, there you go. Right. <laughs> so let's uh, drill down a little bit into the book uh, to kick it off uh, for everybody. Maybe give us a brief overview 
of like what the book is about Jesus and the bicameral brain like what is it what's it about uh why should people go pick it up who's the target audience uh people in the UK obviously are your target audience no I'm just kidding but <laughs> talk to us a little bit about the book yeah uh the the idea of the bicameral brain my brother uh I owe this to him he sent me a copy of uh Ian McGilchrist's 2009 book uh the master and his emissary and he talks about the left brain and the right brain and how the left brain has come to be dominant in the modern period. And of course, that was my specialty in philosophy. Mm -hmm. uh, but he claims that the right brain is the real master. The right brain is what gives us access to the moral realm, to the aesthetic realm. The left brain is what connects us to the world. It's about knowing how to survive, knowing how to be in the world. Uh, and there's a chapter in the book on, uh, on Christianity light. And what it claims, it's right after the chapter on the parable of the sower. And what I argue is that, you know, Jesus tells this parable of the sower. He says, a man went out to sow seed and he tells this parable. And then he explains the parable to the disciples. And he says, the seed is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. That's what the Bible says. The Bible never says it's the word of God. <laughs> right. said, Jesus, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And Jesus tells this parable about these words going out and three quarters of the people that hear the word don't get it. Mm. Uh, he, he talks about four different grounds that it falls on. Mm -hmm. And three out of the four grounds, the word doesn't take root. Mm. Uh, and it only takes root in that one soil. In the next chapter, I talk about Christianity light. If this is the case, and we're not receiving Jesus' words because we're all left brain, and Jesus' words don't make any sense to the left brain. Mm. Uh, they're not addressing the left brain. They're addressing the right brain. They're addressing the moral realm, the mm. spiritual realm. Uh, so what do we do? Well, we create, we create Christianity light. Uh, which is Christianity with the words of Jesus removed. Mm. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. He's the uh, scapegoat. He's the blood sacrifice. He dies on the cross to pay for our sins. End of story. If you believe that, you're going to heaven. Mm -hmm. What about all the things he says? Well, <laughs> this is Christianity light. Nice. This is Christianity with all the, without all the nasty stuff. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of the chapter, I say that Christianity light is not a false gospel. Mm -hmm. It's just an elementary gospel. Yeah. It's where we almost all begin. Yeah. And the question that Jesus is always asking us is, how far do you want to go? Yeah. How far do you want to go with this thing? Mm. How far? You know, he says 17 times, follow me, follow mm. me. And we go, no, look, I, I just don't want to go to hell. What do I, I got to believe to not go to hell? That's yeah. all I want. And I want to enjoy my life in the world. Okay, fine. God will love you. You're his, you're his beloved uh, son, daughter, uh, and he's going to love you. But mm. you've already decided how much you're going to love him. Yeah. And that's how much heaven do you want? And that's the great choice, the great freedom. You know, God is, God is unconditional love. And he's made us in his likeness. Mm. But he's also made us free. Mm. And we get to choose how to direct that love. Mm. And we can direct it any way we want. Mm. And the only thing that he tries to do to influence us is at one point in human history, he became a human being. 
And he showed us the best things to love and the worst things to love. And the worst things to love put us in hell and the best things to love put us in heaven. And, uh, you know, Jesus says in, in the fifth chapter of John's gospel that the father judges no one, but he's given all judgment to the son. Mm. And then in the 12th chapter of John's gospel, <laughs> he says, and I judge no one. Yeah. But then he says, but you do have a judge. And he says, the words that I have spoken to you will be your judge. Mm. Jesus tells us what to love and what not to love. Yeah. And how much you pay attention to those words is what determines your eternal character and your eternal nature. Yeah. God's going to love yeah. you. God loves the people in hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We choose to go to hell because these are the things we love. I, I love wealth and power and prestige and fame. And okay, good. You're going to spend eternity with those people. Mm. Do you really want to do that? Mm. And, and a lot of people really do. Mm. That's what they love. And, and God has made us free, and that's what we choose. Yeah. But he's also made us in his likeness, and that's the ultimate call. Mm. And Jesus tells us how to do that, you know, surrender. Surrender mm. to his love. Surrender to his mercy and forgiveness mm. and be transformed by it. Mm. But that only it only registers with the right brain. It doesn't register with the mind that connects us to the world. Yeah. And that's why we create Christianity Light. We want... We want a Christianity, but a Christianity that's compatible with the world. Right. Wanted well, to taste just like we're used to everything. Yeah. yeah. We just take it and blend it right in to the rest of the yeah. things. I think this really speaks to this book speaks to a, a really tender spot, spot in my heart, just because like thinking about thinking back on my own life, like thinking back on my education, like at NIAC and um, ATS and thinking back even before that, I went to a private Christian school in our town for from the fourth through 12th grades. And a lot of it was just about really like what to believe. And like, even thinking about yeah. like NIAC sitting in my systematic theology classes with my Wayne Grudem textbook and having all these answers in front of me that I had to memorize, I had to know. And there almost like a sense of feeling of competition in the class to see like who, who knew more of the answers kind of thing, you know? And like, there was just that feeling. And I remember sitting in one of the classes, I think it was maybe my sophomore or junior year, and thinking to myself, like, there's got to be more to it than this. Like, if Jesus just came here right. and lived his whole life, and the only thing that really mattered was the cross and, like, him dying and me believing this, this blood right. sacrifice, like, is that it? Like, th it seems like this story has lasted all these years. There's got to be more to it than that. And, like, that really just set me on this path of, like, what more could it possibly be? And I was afraid to ask those questions for a long time because it's like you, you never ask those questions because, well, this right. is what you said to have faith and believe that this is That's what it is. Right. And if you think it's more than that, there's something That's wrong with right. you. But then when yep. I started to, like, open myself up to read more things and I started to connect with you again and hear more of your thoughts, I'm like, there is more to it. And that's such a, that's such a relief. No end to the gospel. I, I believe it goes on forever. Mm. Uh, that this life is just a birth canal that determines where we begin eternity. Yeah. But, yeah. but this Jesus thing goes on forever. And how much do you want to be transformed into his likeness? Yeah. Uh, and be lost in God. I, I just recently watched your Bart Ehrman, uh, podcast and uh, he says you know the first religion in the history of the world yeah. uh, was protestant christianity that said no it's just about what you believe yeah. it's just about your belief system that's so modern yeah. 
that's so Descartes and, and modern thinking, you know, yeah. the yeah. ancient world, the medieval world never thought that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I like to what you say about like about heaven and hell, because I think we often think of these, like these are these two destinations and like you right. either believe and you go here, you don't believe and you go right. there. And, and that's the end of the story, but you can have all the heaven and all the hell that you want now. Like we look, uh, take a look around us, right? I mean, there's hell everywhere, but there's you're, also you're heaven there. in a lot of places. Yeah. yeah and I think that is, it's about how we live. Yeah. yeah. It's about how we live our lives now right. that can either bring either one of those two places to our life and the lives of those around us. And another theme of the book is the difference between knowing and being. Mm. And uh, what Jesus is talking about is being, not about knowing. Yeah. And how such a different truth. You know, Aristotle had said human beings are involved in three basic activities, making, doing, and knowing. When we make, we want to make what's beautiful. When we do, we want to do what's good. And when we know, we want to know what's true. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, he's talking about something, a way of life that's true and beautiful and good. Mm. Uh, moderns say, no, no, it's we don't need that good and beautiful stuff. Jesus is just true. This way, I get to decide what's beautiful and good on my own. Right. Uh, right. Not what Jesus is saying is good and beautiful. Right. I just have to believe the truth of Jesus dying on the cross. Mm. Okay, okay. But you're missing out on what heaven really is all about. Yeah. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's the goodness of the gospel, you know? Yeah. And it's the fullness of life that brings us into as, yeah. as his words, his words are living words. Mm. They're not like other people's words. Mm. They're meant to take root at the core of our being mm. and produce life within us. You know, I just heard uh, Thomas Keating do a talk on, you know, when Jesus condemns the fig tree and you think, boy, that's kind of harsh, you know, chop it down. <laughs> what tree? <laughs> the fruit is lousy. Right. You know why? Because the roots, they're not good roots mm -hmm. and it's not producing good fruit. And it's good for nothing. Yeah. And Jesus is trying to show us how to produce fruit, how to produce this unbelievable fruit. You know, there's such a huge difference between the Old Testament texts uh, that tell us how to be in the world. And Jesus tells us how to bring his kingdom to earth. Mm -hmm. That's a, it's a totally different story. And the other thing that's totally different about it is in the Old Testament, God, God is a distant sovereign uh, who man's obedience and punishes disobedience. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, our father. He, he says that 16 times in the Sermon on the Mount alone, mm -hmm. he says, our father, your father, your heavenly father. Mm -hmm. When God becomes your father, it's not about obedience anymore. It's about becoming like your father. You know, yeah. uh, when you're a little kid, you, you might think at times that, oh, all my father cares about is, you know, obedience and, you know, he's going to punish me. And, and then when you grow up, you realize, no, he was trying to show you how to be good and beautiful person. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, that's what it's all about. I had a guy in class one time say it was really interesting. He said, you know, uh, when I was a kid, I was afraid of my father. Hmm. I was afraid, you know, if I did something wrong, he'd spank me or whatever. When I got older, I was afraid to do something wrong because I knew it would hurt my father. Mm. That's the spiritual growth, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not about God, 
you know, sending me to hell. I talk to so many people and it seems all they want from Jesus is I just don't want to go to hell. I just yeah. don't want to go to hell. Okay, then pay attention to what he's saying. Right. You're already here. You're already here. <laughs> you're already there. You know? Oh, God, it's unbelievable. Well, you're experiencing now just won't end. <laughs> That's right. Sounds That's like exactly. hell to me. Right. Yeah. So you got this quote I wanted to read um, for everybody. I wanted to ask you to respond to it. Sure. from on page 40. Um, and you say, let's see, you say this. If our concept of God has not changed over the last few years, we do not have a personal relationship with God. We just have a left brain belief system. Our over-identification with the left brain's knowing is what causes us to miss out on these deeper level experiences that we just talked about that come out of the openness of mind and not knowing involved. So my question is, take us a little bit deeper here, because how, how can you say that if someone's concept of God hasn't changed over the last few years, they don't have a quote, personal relationship with God. Because I imagine that at least one of our more evangelical friends are are going to give the episode a one-star rating (laughs) once they hear that. So maybe talk to us more about like, what, what, what does that mean? Yeah. If somebody says to me, my, my understanding of my wife hasn't changed in the last 40 years. I know my wife. I know my wife. Well, then you don't have a relationship with her. You're not really talking. To, you're not listening to her. That's for sure. Because you don't know her. There's so much there. And that, that, this is just a human being. When you're talking about God, there is so much there. There is so much in the words of Jesus. Take any parable you want. And the first time you read it, uh, okay, you get an understanding out of it. But if you stay in prayer and, you know, Lectio Divina, you really go into this, God shows you a deeper revelation and a deeper revelation. I was just talking to the pastor about, uh, he, he just did a teaching on uh, the, the uh, prodigal son. And, you know, the first reading I hope is, you used your chapter. You got a whole chapter about that here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, almost. Almost. Uh yeah, it's about, it's, it's not about the prodigal. It's, and on a second level, it's about the older brother and his obedience, mm. thinking that's the, hey, look, I'm the obedient one. I deserve to be rewarded and he deserved to be punished. Yeah, but it's really about the father and it's mm. about becoming merciful like your father. It's all, I, I actually believe that in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, when Jesus says uh, he didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. And then he destroys the law and the prophets. He says six times you've heard it said, and what he's talking about is the Old Testament, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not commit murder. And he, he states that, and then he says, but I say, and he says something completely different. He says it six times. So what's going on? The words of Jesus are meant to draw you in. There's nothing simple about them. There's nothing that goes, oh, I get it. No, you don't. You don't get it. You don't get it. You got to stay with it. You got to ask him. You got to inquire. That's what a relationship is. Hmm. And if you're standing on the outside and go, no, I I know what Jesus said. No, you don't. You Hmm. don't. Because you could do this with every one of the parables, and he'll bring you into deeper understanding and a deeper understanding. And I, I think the understanding that he's really getting to, you know, when he says uh, the, the law and the prophets will never be done away. And what he's really doing is just adding to it. He's saying, look, you think this is sin? That's not sin. This, 
this here's the sin and we go oh 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 god oh, that's so neat okay and but now i'm righteous right mm. no 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 here's the sin it's deeper it's deeper Hmm. And the repentance is the thing that brings us into the experience of mercy and forgiveness. And it's the constant experience of mercy and forgiveness that makes us in to be his mercy and forgiveness to the world. That's what it means to be a disciple. Yeah. There's, I think, in this book where I talk about, uh, you know, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, I, I've just done a book on the Sermon on the Mount, but my publisher doesn't want to do it. Uh, he says, your books don't sell. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll pay for it. He says, I don't care. My distributors are going to dump me because they want books that sell. And I think it's him trying to encourage me. You got to push this book a little bit so we can do the Sermon on the Mount book, you know. <laughs> but in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, uh, don't judge, you know, because you'll be judged by the way you judge. Yeah. And then he says, first, take the log out of your own eye so you can see the splinter in the other person's eye. Mm. And I think we think of that because of our common notion of, of Christianity is, you know, trying to deal with this sin problem. Uh, we think, well, it, you've got to take your own sin out so you'll be righteous, be able to take. No, I think it's just the opposite. I think mm. that the log in our own eye is righteousness. And what in, in order to take the sin out of somebody else, this is the wisdom of Alcoholics Anonymous. You have to be a sinner yourself. Only sinners can minister to sinners. And, and we have made a Christianity about righteousness. No, I, my sins have been forgiven. Hmm. Yeah, but you're not, that doesn't make you righteous. <laughs> God forgives everybody's sins. That's who God, God is great at forgiveness. <laughs> right. He's, that's his whole thing. <laughs> You know, but but that's the good news. Yeah. If you see how deep the sin is, you're going to come to live in a state of mercy and forgiveness, and you can become God's mercy and forgiveness to the world. That's what it means to be his disciples, yeah. you know, but you, you have to see the depth of the sin, you know, yeah. Yeah. and the only solution to it is the death of the false self. That's hmm. uh, the, the end of the book is, uh, okay, how do, how do we get beyond uh Christianity light. Mm. Well, the false self, the self that we create to be in the world has to die. Mm. You know, I, I was a, a full professor. Uh, I've got nine books out. Uh, that has to die. That's not who I am. Yeah. But that's, that's who I lived my life for. You know, I was a quarterback in high school. I was a quarterback in college. And I identified with that. That's, this is who I want people to see me as. Mm. And, and Jesus says, that's not who you are. Look a little deeper and you'll see the sin. And, and he's got to be holding your hand as you do this, because to, to look at who you really are uh, and then to him show you, yeah, but this is who you were in me before the world got a hold of you. And, you know, Jesus talks about uh, being born again and going back to who we were before the world got a hold of us and started making us into its likeness. Yeah. And that's that's the true self. But you really have to spend time alone with God to go, to discover that true self. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just this self that you're projecting to the world. Yeah. And you want them and God to believe that's who you really are. And you, and you put attach a belief to it. So, oh, now I'm okay. Right. No, <laughs> you're a mess. You're a mess. Yeah. Uh, you, you're this person that all those childhood wounds 
that are on the unconscious level have created. Mm-hmm. And you're just following out those, those uh, programs for happiness. Mm-hmm. And God has got so much more for you. Yeah. But you have to come to that death experience. And it's a continuous thing. And the more you die, this is why if you say you know God, oh, that's the false self. Come yeah. on. <laughs> as soon as you hear God, those words. Oh, yeah. be gone, you know? Yeah. It's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. And wherever you are in the journey, you're not there. Yeah. You're not there yet. It's a long journey. Mm. I think it goes on forever, yeah. you know? I think as you, you know, as you meditate more, you talked about before, like meditating and coming to know more of your true self. I think too, like the more, correct me if I'm wrong, the more you meditate on that, the more you come to recognize the true God or the true divine or whatever. Because I feel like there's like layers, almost like an onion that we need to peel back of our experiences because God doesn't change, right? right. But, but how right. we understand God changes and sometimes i think to myself i think about the god that i met like the god that i encountered in high school um even at times at nyack and ats and throughout church and stuff like that like i feel like the god of you know he needed a blood sacrifice to forgive forgive me of my sins somebody had to pay somebody to be punished like i feel like we've made god in our image like we've taken right like we've taken this picture we've taken all how we understand the world to work that somebody's got to pay for wrongdoing and there's gonna be justice all this stuff what justice is yeah we've portrayed that onto god we've like made this right. god that fits into right. our understanding and the more that we come to really understand ourselves and who we really are and we discover right. the true divinity within all of us i think then we start to understand oh like there's another layer that needs to come off of god so i can understand yep. god more am i making sense yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's the that's the evolution of the biblical revelation as well. Yeah. I mean, the only revelations is this is who human beings ex- uh, imagine God to be. Right. And that's that's what makes the Jesus revelation revelation so enormously different from the rest of Scripture. Yeah. It's not one story. Yeah. It's uh, this, this is a story about God meeting us in the world. And our understanding of who God is and what will please God. Yeah. And then Jesus comes into the world and says, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. Uh, why does Jesus constantly attack the religious people? Uh, because they don't get it. And right. these are the people that are abiding by, no, God told us to do this. No, well, it's that's your understanding, you know, as a philosopher. God didn't tell you to go commit genocide and kill everybody. Exactly. <laughs> Jericho. You know, uh, he's a tribal God. That's when, when we're tribal people, the most that we can understand about God is a tribal God. Yeah. Uh, as we are changed and spend time in God's presence and in Jesus' right. word, God gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And once you think, okay, God's big enough. Yeah. I, I yeah. can handle this God. I can't handle, I don't want to handle any bigger God. Okay. You've chosen where you want to stop, but God is, he just, He's beyond our, our wildest imagination yeah. in terms of beauty and goodness. Mm-hmm. And we keep on shrinking that beauty and goodness down to something that, that I like, that's comfortable with the person that I've created right. rather than the person that God created. I like to what you said before about like meditating on the scriptures and how as we meditate more on like the parables, we start to see deeper revelations there in the stories of the gospels. And I actually had this experience this last week and I 
brought just brought to my mind when you said that. But I was reading um, in Mark about the not called the rich young ruler, but that's that's who he is in the other gospel. It's called like the wealthy man or whatever. But you know, I was reading that story and I I, I got to that part of my my Bible. I'm like, oh, I've read that a thousand times. I'm, I'm gonna skip it, you know, because <laughs> I know this story, you know. So, but then I was like, you know, I'm gonna read it again and just kind of dwell on it a little bit. And I've taught on that passage like Sunday school um, you know, youth group, um, as a pastor. And like, I, I've taught about it a bunch of times and the application is always the same is don't be like the wealthy guy because he went away sad because he didn't want to give up all of his things and follow Jesus. But given some circumstances in my own life, I was kind of meditating on those things while I was reading this passage. And I got a much different look at it this time. And I thought to myself, well, what if the rich man went away sad because he did decide to give up all of his stuff? Because giving up all of your stuff, giving up things that you're comfortable with feels like crap. I mean, when you have yeah. to give up something right. that you have your, your fist tightly around, I mean, yeah, you might know you're going to get something better, but it's still difficult to part with the stuff that you have and the exactly. life that you've built in order to do something different. Like I thought about my own situation where I quit my job at Apple for 11 years and now I'm doing this. And I thought to myself, well, it felt really good to know that I was going to get to do this, but it felt really scary. And at times, like yeah. I hung my head a little bit low because I'm like, I got to give wow. up a lot of that benefits, really right? Like a lot of uh, my salary to do this. And that doesn't feel very good. So I thought to myself, what right. if the rich man really is going to follow Jesus? He's just walking away for a little while feeling like crap because of all yeah. the stuff he's got to give up. Watch this. I, I have a pastor friend who believes that that rich young ruler is Mark. It is Mark. And he walks away, but he follows Jesus. Uh, our possessions are the things that possess us yeah. and tie yeah. the world and own us yeah. and, and stop us from loving your neighbor as yourself. Hmm. You know, yeah. uh, I, I was just thinking the other day, you know, Jesus at the end of the sermon says, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah. Earlier in the sermon, he says, love your enemies. And we go, well, that's crazy. Well, <laughs> you don't like your enemies hating you? No, I don't. Well, how would you like your enemies to be towards you? Well, I'd like them to love me. Okay, we'll start loving them. Yeah. Love your enemies yeah. and they'll respond. Hmm. No, I don't want to do that. Actually, actually, the truth is I hate my enemies and I love <laughs> that hating. Uh, okay, okay, but... That's that. You see it. We, we want it to be like the world. And the world says you're supposed to react to things. Yeah. And Jesus says, no, no, you're in charge. Mm. You're God's beloved son. Mm. You're God's beloved daughter. Mm. Take charge. Start loving that person. Mm. I just did that recently with somebody. And it's unbelievable the power we have. Just start loving that person. And you see them crumble in front of you. Mm. They just they, they just melt, you know. Mm. But we, we want to be humans and we just want to react to people. So if they hate me, I'm going to hit them right back. You right. Know? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, you're putting yourself in hell. Right. You know? right. So let's talk a little bit more about the idea of the gospel and the good news, because I know you, you spend a lot of time in the book and it's kind of peppered throughout the book, this idea that the gospel needs to change. I know that we talked about um, our understanding of the gospel needs to change. I know we've talked about that a little bit already. But maybe for people who maybe hung up on that point a little bit, because, you know, for me, the gospel is always about, again, Jesus died. I believe I go to heaven. I don't go to hell. 
the good news, you know, is that somebody died in my place or whatever. There's a sacrificial lamb. Uh, evangelism then is telling everybody about this thing. So more and more people believe we go to heaven. So if we're going to rethink the gospel to be more on this right-brained track of things, what does that do for like, what, what is the good news? Or what does it mean for evangelism or like the great commission to go into all the world and tell people this message? Like what, what is the message? If we had to narrow it down that we're telling people with this different look of the gospel from what many of us are used to. Yeah, it's about bringing his kingdom to earth. Do you want to be a disciple? Hmm. And do you want to follow him and bring his kingdom to earth? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hmm. Do you want to bring that message to the world? And the way we do that is by being his mercy and forgiveness to the world. And when you initiate that, people, uh, Without preaching anything, you know, supposedly Francis is supposed to have said that uh, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words, mm -hmm. but only if necessary, you know, <laughs> it's, it's the love of it's better of, without the words. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's about his love and, and loving the world the way he loved the world. Uh, yeah, and but the only way that really happens, the only way his words really take root within us is you have to spend time alone with God. Mm. And that's what the contemplative practice is, getting alone with God. I started it about 25 years ago at uh, when I was at NIAC. Uh, I had, for 16 years, I had two full-time jobs. I was hard, head of arts and sciences at a college in Westchester. I was there for 26 years. And I was at NIAC for 29 years, but for 16 years, I was both. And I was head of philosophy at NIAC. And I, I was an elder in a church, and I just had no time for anything. I would take papers with me to church, and I can hear them, I can hear them, and I'd be grading papers. You know? <laughs> and uh, at a certain point, God told me, I want you to spend Saturday afternoon with me. Oh, God, I, I don't have 15 minutes. No, just, just give me Saturday afternoon. And somehow I, I mustered the ability to do it. And I just got alone with God. I didn't bring a Bible with me. I just went in my bedroom and every once in a while, my, my wife would peek in and she'd go, you're not praying. You're just taking a nap, <laughs> taking a nap in the Lord. Right. Uh, but I just got alone with God. And I, mm. I started to practice that silence. And a lot of times when you're practicing silence, you will, you'll fall off into sleep. Right. It's very nice. Uh, <laughs> just to practice that. And I had never read anything about contemplative prayer. I didn't know anything about contemplative practices. But a little while after that, I came in contact with Richard Rohr and I started to learn about contemplative practices. And uh, my practice has been going on for 25 years now. And I retired a little over two years ago. So now I get to pray. Mm. sometimes three four hours a day and it's just so cool just hanging out with god you can't do that yet you're not there yet you're <laughs> no. just young and you got a wife and you got a kid <laughs> right. and you know uh but i but pray on the go <laughs> that, that's right that's right well as a matter of fact when i was back there after about a month or two uh I, and I was really coming to love Saturday afternoons. Mm. Uh, and then I felt God saying, okay, now get up. And no, 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 I love this. This is, you know, yeah, but now I'm going to teach you how to do this and, and experience my presence when you're in the midst of other people. Mm. And I, I did learn how to do that. And in the midst of a lecture, 
uh, when I'm when I'm lecturing in class, am I aware of his presence coming through me? And I got pretty good at that. But now in retirement, I'm realizing, yeah, but there's an even deeper level. Mm, another level, yeah, another layer, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just another layer and yeah. further death, further death to that jerk that I was in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when I was at Nike, I had a pretty good reputation and, you know, and I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm this man of God. No, no, you're not, <laughs> you know, by comparison to where I am now, you know, mm-hmm. because it's a humbling, it's it's a reduction in who you are. It's not building you up. It's It's getting you down to who you were before the world got a hold of you. That's what the born again experience is about. That's when he says, unless you become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, it, it's not who you created. It's who God created. And uh, that's the the self that is able to bring his kingdom to earth. You know? yeah. But so we have the, to identify with that. Yeah. Yeah. So then the great commission then, like think about like evangelism, that whole idea. So it's not so much then it's not about inviting people into a religion right? Because Jesus didn't invent a religion, but it's inviting anybody, whoever they may be, whether they be atheists, right. whether they be Muslim, Buddhist, into right. a way of life. That, that Right? It's not about leaving your culture behind or leaving your whatever behind. It's about just becoming part of this, this way of life. Yeah. Uh, I love when Jesus says to the Pharisee, you, you travel over sea and land make a single convert and you make them more the son of hell than yourself because it's about what i believe what i've done what i no no it's about surrender and it's what he does through you yeah. are you willing to become his instrument to the world wow. uh, and that's where we're moving toward and it's uh, the ultimate end is that that union with god that getting lost in god uh the way Jesus is lost in, in the father. You know? yeah. yeah. Very cool stuff. That's good. So one last question, talk to the person who they want to go deeper into all this stuff, but they feel, they feel stuck. Like maybe their whole spiritual journey so far has been all about having the right answers, knowing the facts and the figures. Maybe they're surrounded by that in school, or maybe they're in church or their family. Maybe that's, that's what it's all about but they sense that there's something more. Like I said earlier about sitting in a classroom thinking there's gotta be more to the story than this. What, what is like the next doable step for that person to take in order to move in that direction? Find, find something that Jesus said mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. You know, we read the Bible. Just take a pick. <laughs> makes sense. You know, oh, yeah, that's true. That, oh, that's true. Yeah. No, find something that doesn't make any sense. Uh-huh. And then get still with God and ask God, show me, God, show me what this means. And if you get still enough and you practice that stillness, it's all about, you know, uh, be still and know that I am God. Uh, it's about the solitude, getting alone with God and, and not hearing those voices. Don't, don't jump at the first voice you hear. You got to get down to the silence mm-hmm. and God will explain it to you. Uh, you know, I, I remember a, a while back I was having trouble with, uh, I just see that Jesus is constantly preaching against wealth, power, prestige, the world. What the world tells you, this will make you special. Mm-hmm. More wealth, more power, more prestige, more fame. And uh, I had trouble with, you know, in Matthew's gospel, the story about the talents, you know, where 
the the good servants supposedly are the ones that you know make more money you yeah. know yeah. for yeah. the for the thing and then i read that same parable in luke's gospel and i realized oh my god he's talking about herod in luke's gospel he doesn't use the word talent but it's the same story it's the same parable uh, but it starts off and it says a man a man of noble birth went off to a distant country to be made king and a delegation was sent after him saying we don't want this man to rule over us and he left his henchman in charge and the one henchman didn't invest the money and make more money and he buried it and uh, jesus can uh, the the story the, the prince who's herod in the story uh, condemns him and, and the story ends by saying and bring that delegation before me that didn't want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence and that's exactly what herod did to the delegation that was sent after him to rome hmm. when uh when they were saying we don't want this man to rule over us he's hmm. telling a story about herod hmm. uh, there's no place where jesus ever praises wealth and praises industry you can make more money <laughs> right. wow. capitalism right. boy we love that you know right. uh, that's that's the word of jesus no read it in luke's gospel and you realize but yeah the, you have to find the deeper meaning you know yeah uh, and it doesn't and, always come right away right because i mean sometimes i think it's we get frustrated because we sit down and i want to do what you just told me to do and i sit down with a passage i give it 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I got nothing, I get frustrated, I go away, but it might come a day later, two days later, weeks later. Yeah. yeah. I think the most powerful chapter in scripture is that seventh chapter of, of Matthew. It's the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of it, he says, enter through the narrow gate. Uh, for the, the path is, is easy, mm -hmm. that leads to destruction. But, but the path that leads to life is a hard path. And we go, no, no, you just believe that Jesus died for your sins. How tough is that? It's just a belief. Mm -hmm. I know that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Yeah. He says, uh, you know, enter through the narrow gate. It's a hard road. And you know what the line is right after he says that? Beware of false prophets who, who show you an easy way. And and I'm I'm a little bit generous to false prophets. I, I don't necessarily think they're false prophets. I just think they're, they're working on the introductory stage. Sure. Uh, how would you ever get somebody to sign up uh, unless they, you know, the fishermen meet Jesus. Okay, that <laughs> might be powerful. But how do you get somebody to sign up initially for what Jesus is really talking about? Yeah. Uh, that takes a long time to get to that. It took me a long time. Yeah. I've been at this, I don't know, 50 years. Uh, and uh, it just keeps on getting deeper and deeper and deeper yeah. uh, if you stay on the journey. But yeah. the temptation is, I've gone far enough. I'm happy to win. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. Yeah. God is still going to love you. God is still, it, God, your love toward God doesn't affect God at all, yeah. at all. But it affects you. You can love him more. That's the riches. That's the riches. And what keeps us from that are the riches of the world. Say, no, I like, I like the things of the world better than the things Jesus tells me about. Okay. But you're creating your own eternal nature, your own eternal character. Yeah. God's going to love you, but uh, you're going to be less than, than what 
Jesus is calling you to. Yeah. Good, cool stuff. Stay good stuff. Good stuff, man. It's good stuff. So, so what's next? You said you you're working on another book. Well, no, I I just finished uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I, yeah. I've actually, but they're not going to publish that one because it's <laughs> no. But my publisher, House, uh, said no. You, you, your books don't sell, and like I say, I, I was I okay. I'll pay for it. My publisher said I don't care. Uh, I have to worry about my distributors. You know, the mm-hmm. reason why Vanity Presses uh, are phony is because, okay, they can get your book in print, but they can't distribute it. Right. Uh, only legitimate publishers have distribution channels that can get it all over the place. Right. Yeah. Uh, and a, a good distributor is more important than a publisher. Mm. So uh, a publisher that has a good distributor doesn't want to lose it with somebody whose books don't sell. So my my publisher has a PhD in philosophy of religion from Claremont in California, Claremont Graduate School. And uh, he's a fan, but I think he's trying to encourage me, Jim, you gotta do, you gotta, you gotta push this book a little bit. And I (laughs) do that because I write to myself. Yeah, I understand. You know Larry Poston. Yeah, I know him, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, just love him and, and his wife his his wife is the most saintly woman i think i've ever met in my life yeah and larry isn't far behind but uh students at nyack always used to you know oh debate larry you know you and larry debate <laughs> and we would have these debates and he would always i'd have him go first and he'd go first and I, oh yeah well yeah i and we always somehow agreed we, right. we always wanted one of the but the one time we were asked, uh, he, had, he had published quite a bit, uh, as many articles as I had. He's got several books out. And uh, they asked Larry and I to do a talk to the faculty about publishing. So Larry went first and he said, the most important thing in, in writing is to know your audience. And he did a great talk about that. And then I went and I said, uh, I, I don't have an audience. I'm writing to myself. Right. I'm writing to get clear about something. You know, I heard a woman on book TV years ago say, uh, people write for one of two reasons. Either they think they have something to say or they want to get clear about something. Mm. And she said, I always fall into that latter category. I, I want to get clear about God, this, God. What, what's, what is the Sermon on the Mount all about? Mm. Write a book about it. Write a book yeah. about it. That's then, good you'll change the book a couple of times right. and uh, eventually you'll start to get it. That's know? right. That's yeah. why I feel like I started, I mean, that's what this podcast, my blog, yeah, like absolutely. I write more absolutely. just to, I got to right. try to figure this out because I, yeah. I got to figure it out. If I, somebody else finds it helpful, they want to join. Cool. Exactly. But it's, it's for me. <laughs> absolutely. That's absolutely. right. Well, hey, we're going to do this again sometime, but we're just about out of time, but thank okay. you. This is your third visit. I think this is like the, the hat trick. Yeah, <laughs> I start handing out coupons to my guests at this point. Once you've been on like three, three or four times. <laughs> okay, sounds good. All right, man, we'll do it again. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing through sunshine and rain. Stressing over everything, losing your brain. Fit back up yourself before you go insane. Levitate on the times and you got the rain. Times are tough, I'm being honest. We can see the light, just remain modest. Uh, can't forget, just a day reminder. Life's a little short, take off the blinds, be a little wiser, build my own future, I'm the pathfinder, CMG is a team with a franchise, uh, impacted by the worst decisions, breaking bad habits on the repetition, what you getting to now, gave too many chances, in the bad condition, but it's not the ending, 
get yourself together, got no time for reminiscing. I just want this all to live life. Enough to stop, never spent a lot of hours on the clock. I'm trying to pop, locked in the stock room. It will remind me of my thoughts. I got a whole lot of product in the box. I'm trying to drop what you got. I got a whole lot of product you can cop. Yeah, pennies for my thoughts. A lot of commas, a lot of commas. Count it's it. hard staying conscious when the problem's making profit. Still fly, just flying in the opposite of what a flock is. The most high riding in the cockpit. He told me for the autopilot, hit the top switch. Kamikaze dropping knowledge. I'm just honest. No, I'm not a prophet, but I profit off a of promise. God said stop knocking and unlock it. I'm what happens when a janitor meets the locksmith. You know the common sense ain't common. So don't pick cotton, pick college. And that's knowledge. Worries, we gon' win. Several further tips, right back up again to the end. Add it to the wheels, fall off. Ain't no time to be complacent, and we get knocked off. My pleasure, you gonna thank me later. Can't forget about the other side for the haters. Closer than you think, this is nothing that we make up. But the dead weight will open the floodgates. Wait, first things first, gotta learn to have patience. Doesn't mean sitting all your life, all the waiting. Minute that you quit, this is second that you're failing. Bounce back from a setback, then you sailing. We on our way to the yellow brick road. Gotta suffer consequences that we win when we sow. Let nothing get in the way when we get in the zone. Can be afraid to admit we're not right and we're wrong. Yeah.